Welcome to CropSense, presented by North Carolina Cooperative Extension. I'm Jacob Morgan, a field crops agent with North Carolina Cooperative Extension. Today, we have Dr. Stephanie Caleza, Nutrient Management and Animal Waste Specialist with North Carolina State University. Good morning, Dr. Caleza. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey, Jacob. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. So I grew up in Arkansas. I call it the land of pine trees and poultry houses. Uh, so you might imagine that it's a little bit similar to North Carolina. Got a lot of pine trees, got a lot of poultry houses. Uh, so I grew up not in agriculture, but I went to the University of Arkansas and got a soil science degree. Then did my PhD at Virginia Tech, worked in industry in Idaho for a little bit, and then found myself at North Carolina in the crop and soil sciences department. And really excited to be working with all the different uh, manure generators in the state. So today we're going to discuss animal waste as a fertilizer for our row crop operation. So I guess the first question is, what different types of manures are farmers in North Carolina utilizing as fertilizer sources? That's a great question. So we have several different uh, animal ag industries in North Carolina. So of course there's the obvious swine production systems and then also broiler production and turkey production are really big in North Carolina. But we also have a dairy industry in North Carolina as well. And so these industries overlap in some areas where we have really dense production in, say, the uh, coastal plain area when it comes to turkey production and hog production. Uh, but we also have some overlap in the Piedmont as well when it comes to a turkey or broiler production overlapped with dairy production. Uh, so we've got a lot of different manures and some areas where those overlap. And so you could have multiple choices of manures within an area as well. And within those different types of manures, there's also different production systems based on the animal housing, the manure treatment system, the life stage of the animals that are raised on that facility. So you can get some really big differences, even though it might be labeled hog manure, it might come with a whole different host of nutrients depending on how it's managed and what life stage is grown on that farm. So that brings us to sampling, which is probably the best place to start. Could you talk about recommendations around how to take samples and also the need for taking good samples? Yeah, absolutely. Sampling is a critically important practice that anyone who uses manure should know how, one, to read a waste analysis, but two, how to pull a sample of their own in case one's out of date or you want to just verify that you're getting what, what was promised to you as far as the nutrient analysis is concerned. So taking a good representative sample uh, gives you the best data that you can have as far as what nutrients you're actually applying to your field. So when we talk about taking a good representative sample, it depends on the manure type that you're utilizing. And so, you know, it could be a wet or a dry system. So the sampling is a little bit different, but basically there are some common themes. One is you want to get a good representative sample. That means you want to sample at multiple locations throughout the lagoon or throughout the windrow or throughout the pile, whatever manure we're talking about. We want to get a subsample from a bunch of different locations. And this is because you can have areas that have more bedding or you can have areas that are wetter or you can have areas that um, maybe have more uh, fresh manure and therefore more nutrients in that spot. So we want to even out this variability that you can find by taking small samples from several areas uh, and combining those into one representative sample. And when we think about the differences in nutrient content between 
the types of manures, we can see a hundredfold difference in lagoon effluent concentration uh, just because of an intense rainfall event. Uh, so it's really important to sample what's actually going to the field. And it's important to take that sample as close to your application date as possible to get the best representation of the nutrients that you're actually applying. So manures obviously contain the, the big three, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. And all that's going to be spelled out on the waste report. But what are some other nutrients we can get from manure other than those big three nutrients? You'll get a whole host of micronutrients that come along for the ride when it comes to manure application. And this can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing depending on your soil test. So that's another critical component as well as knowing what's in your soil and what nutrients you need to apply. If your manure has a lot of zinc, and you already have a really high zinc level in your soil, that's not a really a good fit for that manure ap application. Versus if we have a situation, I was sitting with a grower uh, in a county with not a lot of poultry production and they were talking about how they're always having to apply zinc, they're always having to apply these micronutrients, they never can get their soil to a, to a range where they feel good about its micronutrients uh, condition. Uh, and the first thing I thought is you need some poultry litter. And so uh, it really depends on your soil test and what your crop rotation is as to how these different materials fit in and what they can bring to the table, whether that's a good thing or whether maybe you should pass on it today. So are there any benefits other than nutrients for using manure as a fertilizer source? So nutrients are obviously the primary reason for applying manures to agricultural land. You get a slow release fertilizer, so that's a benefit. Uh, these nutrients will become available over the growing season. When we talk about comparing that to inorganic fertilizer, inorganic fertilizer is available immediately the day you put it on. Well, that can be good if you need, if your plants critically need nitrogen right now, but if you're applying pre-plant and that nitrogen isn't needed for a few weeks, that nitrogen is susceptible loss to loss that entire time. Uh, and so when we apply something like poultry litter, it rapidly breaks down and becomes available over the growing season, but it is slower than slower release than an inorganic fertilizer. Uh, so that's a benefit that we get. Also manures bring along uh, carbon so they can help with increasing soil organic matter. Um, over time. And so that can give us a whole host of benefits as well. So those are the things that, that can come along with manure or, or additional benefits to manure application in comparison to inorganic fertilizers. So we've taken samples. We've got a report back. How do you recommend people going about deciding how much manure to apply? Obviously, you know, we've got our soil, our soil test. It's going to tell us what we need. Uh, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, maybe some micronutrients. And then we have the sample report that tells us how much of each of those nutrients are available. But I'm assuming very rarely are those going to line up as far as percentage-wise. So how would you suggest people going about deciding how much manure to apply? You just asked the grand challenge regarded to, regarding manure management. So that is the biggest challenge with manure management is that the nutrient ratios don't line up exactly with what crops need. And often our soils have amounts of nutrients that also play into that as well. And so 
um, when we talk about generating um, recommendations for manure application, we want to look at our realistic yield expectation for the fields that we have on our farm. Uh, so you can find the soil type on your farm, and then you can go to realisticyields.ces.ncsu.edu, and you can find the realistic yield expectation for a whole host of crops on that website. You're going to click on your county. You're going to you're going to select your soil series that you find within your field, and then you'll be able to see what the realistic yield expectation is. And that's also going to give you a real, realistic nitrogen rate which is what you should base your manure uh, recommendations on in a nitrogen-based scenario. Now, if you have a really high soil test phosphorus, uh, you might wanna think about limiting your manure application to either a phosphorus-based rate or applying manure within your crop rotation to where you're only applying once every two to three years. So for instance, if you have a corn, wheat, bean rotation, applying the manure right before corn and then drawing down the phosphorus with your wheat and beans in the subsequent parts of your rotation. Uh, and so that can help you prevent phosphorus accumulation in your soils and um, help you maximize the nitrogen benefit that you get from that manure application. Okay, so you talked about phosphorus accumulation. Are there any other things that we should be concerned about as far as using heavier rates of manures? I know some people are, are buying manure or getting it spread, paying someone to spread it. So maybe that cost is going to kind of limit the number of tons they're going to put out. But someone who has their own poultry houses and just needs to get rid of the waste, they may feel the need to put out a, a lot heavier rates. So are there any things they should be concerned about or, or keep an eye on as far as a soil test index or anything like that to kind of make sure they're not getting themselves into problems? So definitely I would say the, the most worrisome uh, issue that I hear about is zinc accumulation within soils when it comes to manure application. That could either come from swine sludge application or from a repeated application of poultry litters. So zinc is, is found in both of these manure sources. They might be at different concentrations, but they're still there. And so zinc is one of those elements that crops don't need a lot of. So when we over apply zinc for uh, several years or, or you know, say put a one-time really large application out that increases our zinc index, uh, we can see crop response issues. So you can actually see zinc toxicity within your fields Peanuts are especially susceptible. So I would say anybody who uh, might trade their land for peanuts or anybody who wants to grow peanuts in the future needs to be especially careful about applying manures to their land. That's not saying that you can't accept any. That's just saying you need to look at your soil test report. And really, once you're getting up to that 250 zinc index, really need to think about using other sources of nutrients instead of uh, manures if you want to grow peanuts. As far as the regulations are concerned, anything with a zinc or copper index above 3000 can no longer receive manure or any source of zinc or copper. And so you'll need to find an additional avenue for utilizing that material if you do drive up your zinc or copper index above 3000. And that's really to protect the growers because we can see really extreme zinc toxicity issues I've heard of some horror stories in the state where things have gone awry and either in the, in the overlaps uh, where there's been a sludge application or in areas where 
Uh, there was a poultry barn in the past and now it's been demolished and they're trying to grow on that section of the field. They have really, really high zinc index and can't grow anything. And our mitigation strategies for zinc and copper are, are pretty few and far between. So we have the option to deep till, uh, which could dilute the zinc within the A horizon um, or the surface part of the soil, uh, or we can raise the pH to hopefully uh, make that zinc insoluble for plants. But those are really our only two options and neither is really a great option uh, for continuous crop production. So we wanna make sure that we avoid getting to that point uh, before we actually get there because it's, it's hard to manage once you have a zinc toxicity issue on your farm. All right, so if I've got a 50 acre field and I wanna put out say two tons of chicken litter to the acre and I get them to bring me a hundred tons of chicken litter and then I put it out there and it's all gone by the time I get to the end of the field. How can I be sure that I'm putting it out evenly across that field as opposed to stripes? That's a really good question. And this is where we really count on calibrating our equipment. It is something that's often overlooked and, and not thought about, uh, is that we need to calibrate our manure spreaders to apply the right rates. So we might calculate the right rate. We might you know get 100 tons delivered. But if we don't have our spreader calibrated, we could end up in a scenario where we're running out halfway through the field and saying, oh no, or we might end up in a situation where we don't know our swath width. And so we end up with a green and yellow striping uh, throughout the field because we didn't overlap enough. Or you can see areas such as the zinc scenario where you overlap too much and you cause a toxicity issue in the stripes instead. And so knowing your swath width uh, is really important. And then also calibrating your equipment to know that you're applying at the rate that you intend to is also an important part. And we have uh, spreader calibration field days every once in a while. So I would encourage growers to reach out to their poultry ASAs uh, if they're interested in learning uh, how to calibrate their litter spreaders, uh, because that is a really valuable piece of the puzzle when it comes to manure application. All right, so we talked about a number of different things. In your professional opinion, what do you think the best way to utilize these manures in a row crop fertilizer program is? So as I stated earlier, I think if I were to utilize, say, a poultry litter within a corn wheat bean rotation, I would apply it to corn, get the most nitrogen that I can by applying it in the spring right before planting, get the most nitrogen I can, and then draw down soil phosphorus over the subsequent crops. I think that's a really efficient use of those materials. It can be difficult when you are receiving manure and having a custom applicator or custom hauler come out and spread it for you to get on their schedule for applying in the spring. Uh, but definitely that's the uh, most efficient use of that nutrient source is, is to apply it in the spring and make sure that you get that nitrogen value out of the litter. If you're applying to fall to um, say a wheat crop, uh, you'll get some of that in your wheat, but you also, you know, I get a lot of questions about how much am I going to have from a fall application for my corn. 
Uh, there's really no way to guess on that one. We have such wet winters typically that it would be hard to imagine a lot of that nitrogen sticking around. So the most efficient way if you're wanting to apply to corn is to apply it directly before corn instead of trying to get some residual nitrogen after applying it to wheat. Could you touch a little bit on regulations because there is quite a few regulations that revolve around manure management and manure applications? Definitely. So there are um, regulations pertaining to permitted facilities. So those would be your wet poultry, your swine facilities, and your dairy facilities that have over 100 dairy cows. And so the sizing is going to be different for those different facilities as far as whether they're a permitted facility or not. But some of the big regulations for those permitted facilities are that you have to have a um, animal waste management plan that's signed by a certified technical specialist. So that's gonna lay out all your crop rotations and all your allowable application rates, things like that. And make sure that you have enough land for the manure that you're gonna generate on your facility. It also requires that you have a current waste analysis. So we talked about the importance of a waste analysis, by, but by regulation, we have to have what's called a current waste analysis, which is a um, analysis within 60 days of application. Um, and so you have to have that waste analysis to show that you are applying um, the nitrogen rates that are within your plant. And so when it comes to deemed permitted facilities, so our poultry facilities that are using a dry management system, they have to have what's called a, a dry litter plan. Um, and those dry litter plans have to also be based on agronomic rates. They're gonna be based on nitrogen-based application rates. Um, but to have that agronomic rate, that agronomic nitrogen rate, you're gonna to have to have a waste analysis to go along with that as well. So that's going to be a current waste analysis within 60 days of application. I would encourage you to try to get one as soon as possible prior to application. But to be within the, the regulations, you really need to have that current waste analysis. Um, another one that we see a lot, um, particularly for poultry litter, uh, is leaving the poultry litter on the edge of the field for greater than 15 days uncovered. So any poultry litter that's left on the edge of the field, if it's left uncovered for more than 15 days, DEQ then regulates that as a wet system. So that means that you would have to have a permit. So nobody wants to go through that whole process for a pile of poultry litter that's sitting and waiting to be spread. So make sure that if you are storing poultry litter on the side of a field or outside your poultry house, that you cover that material if it's gonna be there for 15 days or longer. Uh, because um, that's complaint driven. So if there's a complaint, DEQ will investigate and then uh, you could requ be required to have a plan for that in the future. So, so really important to cover that litter and have your current waste analysis. Is there anything else you think the listeners need to know before we wrap this podcast up? I think some interesting work is coming out of our program. We recently uh, solicited samples from poultry producers across the state. We got 60 different poultry litter samples and my graduate student did a germination study and found that no weed seed germinated from that, uh, from any of those 60 poultry litters. Uh, that data is not published yet, but we're hoping to get that published in the future. 
uh, I think that one of the main hesitancies that people have with utilizing some of these sources is thinking that they bring in weed seed. Um, and some of these areas, you know, I talked earlier about how we have these areas where we might have multiple sources that you find in an area, for instance, swine overlapping with turkey and broiler um, in the coastal plain. Well, to move nutrients outside of that area sometimes requires you to go into areas that don't have a large poultry industry. And so you can have some hesitancy because of that perception that weeds are being brought on to your farm. So through our research, we're not really seeing that justified within the science. So we've done some germination studies to look at the soil itself, adding poultry litter and then autoclaving it or sterilizing the soil. And we found that uh, the soil was the main contributor of viable weed seed in that scenario. And then also we just did this litter survey where we um, mixed the litter with a potting media and found no germinable or no weed seeds that germinated out of those samples as well. So our research thus far is indicating that that weed seed is already in the seed bank and the nutrient availability uh, based on when you're applying that nitrogen uh, is really leading to the presence of weeds within these areas that are receiving this manure. So we hope that this information will help uh, growers who are currently aren't using uh, poultry litter uh, to be open to the idea of receiving some of that. Um, so I think that's some interesting work in the manure management realm that I'm really excited to offer to growers in the future. That is very interesting work because it is a, it's a commonly held belief throughout East North Carolina, at least, that poultry litter does bring in weed seed. So that's very interesting work that kind of shows that that's not the case. Uh, that we're not bringing in weed seed from these poultry houses. Yeah, and like I said, that's uh, not published yet. So it will hopefully be published in the future. We hope to have some fact sheets and, and things like that as well. But our initial indications are that it could be from the seed bank itself or it could be from equipment that hasn't been properly sanitized or cleaned out, or it could be from uh, soil that maybe is scooped up on the edge of the field when you're moving that manure pile. And so those weeds in the ditch or those weeds at the edge of the field that you didn't quite get taken care of the year before, you might be spreading those weed seeds throughout the field. So, you know, there's some possible pathways for weed seed to get spread throughout the field, but we don't see it as the, the source being the poultry litter itself. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Dr. Kaleza. Absolutely. Happy to participate. And uh, she mentioned a couple different resources. One was Realistic Yields Expectation Resource, and another was the Poultry AS ASAs, which are the Area Specialized Agents. And I'll put a map for those agents with their contact information and a link to the Realistic Yield Expectation uh, website in the, the notes for this podcast. And if you have any questions regarding manure application or use in your row crop operation, feel free to call your local cooperative extension agent and they'll be happy to answer any questions you have. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. And as always, thanks for listening to Crop Sense because if it isn't making money, it isn't making sense.